0: Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com.
1: Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On
0: Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome back to another show on Your Story with Melinda. And I am so excited for my guest today. Sammy Cohn is a blogger, radio host, and TV correspondent. She's known as the frugal mom on Nashville's top rated talk show, Talk of the Town. She hosts the national syndicated family money minute and educates, listen to this, more than one million listeners every morning on the family friendly morning show. Sammy and her husband, Rick, have two children. They live in Nashville. Tennessee. I don't know why you always have to say Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. And you can know more about her, learn more about her at sammycone s a m i Sammy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Melan. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Yes. Yeah, so are you in Nashville? Nashville right now? Nashville. <laughs> I know, you actually have just, I think it's supposed to be like Nashville. You're oh, just, Nashville. I'm not from here? Yeah. I'm not from here, so I probably don't say it right. But yes, I'm actually coming to you live from Nashville right now. Awesome, Sammy. I love you already. Oh. Um. Not only we're gonna talk about your
0: book that I'm showing up here on screen in a little bit, but I want to talk to a million listeners. Did you ever think at In the beginning of your life, and I say beginning, as a young girl, (laughs) that you would be a blogger, radio host, TV correspondent, educating a million people. Like, that kind of blows me away. Tell me about that. Did you want to be that, like, in TV and in media, or did you just kind of stumble upon it?
1: A little bit of both, I would say. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I've always been a little bit of a, I guess they called me Sammy Hammy when I was (laughs) a little kid. (laughs) That's an exclusive, Melinda. I've never said that publicly before. Okay. I was never shy. I was an only child. I had three older half brothers that I didn't grow up with, and so yeah, I was one to grab my shot on the stage. You know, you hear about stage moms. I was the one that was begging my parents to take me to auditions in Chicago where I grew up, and they finally were like, "We're not doing this anymore." So it was a little bit of a reverse (laughs) effect. But to get to the point where I now get to not—it's not so much of an entertaining that I do. Hopefully, it's entertaining on some level, Mm -hmm. obviously. But the fact that it's mentoring, you know, it wasn't until I came to know Christ later in life that I realized my true gifts were writing, speaking and teaching and mentoring. And so to be able to, I see what I do is mentoring others. I take the knowledge that's been gifted to me and that's Mm -hmm. put in me and and freely share that. Uh, Yeah, that part blows my mind that that's come kind of full circle to fruition in some ways. Amazing. Listen, you said that you,
0: you know, found Jesus, became a Christian later in life. Talk to me about your upbringing because you didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. No. Did you? No,
1: very Yeah, As people will see in the book, it's very, uh, I think, religiously confused, is mm-hmm. the way I like to say it. My mom is from England. So she grew up, we say COE, which is Church of England, Anglican. Yeah. You know, both my parents actually grew up in religion, but not religious. They grew up with a culture of religion, but neither of them practiced. My father is uh, a, a first generation American as well and was Jewish. Hmm. And I had these two parents that for the seven years they were married, with me, they didn't really want to practice anything, but they didn't want to give in to the other. So, for instance, at Christmas, we would have a really short Christmas tree, but we called it a Hanukkah bush. <laughs> I mean, like, so we still. I can still Baruch Atah Adonai, I can do the Hanukkah prayer, but I, then I didn't actually get eight, you're supposed to get a gift on each night of Hanukkah, yeah. I didn't get eight gifts. So I oh. kind of feel like I got a little gypped on each side of it. But yeah. really, it just made me not want anything. You know, if my mom ever talked about going to church, I'm like, no, I think I'm going to be Jewish. If my dad ever talked about going to temple, I was like, eh, I think I'm going to be Christian. That works it, out perfectly, though. Right? Yeah. It kind of pit them. I was, you know, the the bitter child of divorce, you know? Yeah. <laughs> not really. But it, it, was, it was one of those things where especially during my teenage years after my parents got divorced. And I grew up in a mostly Catholic community in Chicago. You know, I'd go with my friends to CCD and I would count how long they were in confession for. You know, it was just this really interesting mix of a lot of rules that I saw and, you know, regulations on holidays. But I never knew any God. I never knew Jesus until later in life. So what brought you there? Because I
0: think I I love everybody's story of how they found Jesus, because it's it's always very unique. And the stories are wild for the people that I've interviewed. But how did you? how'd you finally say, okay, you know what? I want to follow him. He's legit.
1: (laughs) Dabbled in church. I'll say that, you know, Mm -hmm. through high school, college, that sort of thing. But my getting to know you experience, my true conversion experience was after I had finished my master's degree, I became a professional tennis player. And my career ended when I was living in the Bahamas uh, due to a back injury. So I moved to Florida where my mom was then living. And while I was there rehabbing, of course, I didn't want to be bored. I started working in professional baseball because that's what you do when you're young and single, right? (laughs) So I was working at, at the time, it was the spring training home for the Montreal Expos and the St. Louis Cardinals. And like any good Chicago girl, I hated the Cardinals with a passion. (laughs) This is about 99, 2000, and they were on top, and it was the McGuire era. So I did whatever I could to stay as far away from that bullpen as possible, Mm -hmm. which led me to the Expos. They were horrible. So no, you know, they had really no airs about them. No one was, you know, clamoring for any autographs. Mm -hmm. And I speak French. French Montreal, they you know French. So it was it was just one of those comfortable places for me to be. Well, there was a player there. They kind of put his arm around me and was like, "I'll protect you from these big bad baseball players, and I'll show you the ropes." Long story short, we ended up in a relationship, even though I said I would never get involved with a baseball player. Uh, A few months in, I found out he was married,
0: Hmm.
1: and it rocked my world. It just caused me to just I was like, "How did I get here? Who am I?" You know, it just everything that I knew a thought i knew about myself became challenged mm-hmm. and i literally called a pastor of a local church i had sold season tickets to and said can i come talk to you i'm just i need something i need someone i'm you know i don't know where i am who i am so of course he obliged and i went into his office and at the end of our our meeting he said i want you to take a week to fast and pray and i was like like like, yeah. Break it down <laughs> for the non-churchers. Like, is that? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. He said, during your lunch hour, close the door to your office, don't eat, sit quietly, talk out loud to God, read the Bible, just wait, wait expectantly. And at the end of that week, it was April 20th of 2000, I literally heard God say, whether or not people like you or dislike you, they'll respect you when you live a consistent life for me. Ooh, and as wow. someone that had grown up as this consummate people pleaser, wanting everyone to like me, looking for love and all the wrong things places, it was like this weight had just lifted off my shoulder. So that was, wow. I guess, 16 years ago now. And it's just been a, a race to, to find him and then, you know, anything that I do ever since. Sammy, I love your authenticity about that, Thank you know, because you. a
0: lot of times we don't want to tell the story. Like we don't want right. to tell the true story about that because it's like, what? Like you're in a relationship with a married person, right? A married man. Right. But I think that that helps though, as you share the story, I find that with my own life and all the prodigal daughter things that I did, mm-hmm. that it actually brings a lot of freedom and hope for people when we're honest,
1: you know, about so. the things I, that we do. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I always feel like I'm new to the church, you know, like being not having grown up in the church yeah. and we've gone through, I mean, I almost lost my marriage three years ago. My husband and I were separated for 10 months and I can't say that it wouldn't have happened if we felt the freedom to be more real within church. But if you don't feel comfortable being honest within church, where where else should we feel more comfortable? And I wish if, because I know what happened to us, we're not the first couple that experienced what we experienced, but no one, I had never heard of anyone else experiencing it. And that made me so sad that we didn't even feel like we had the freedom within our own, you know, groups, our own Christian circles to talk about it. And so that, again, that was my freedom. I've, I've kind of gone too far to the other way sometimes where before Christ, I was so careful about what I presented to people. And then, I kind of went to the other side of here's all of me you know I I think there has to be a happy medium but I agree with you Melinda I think there would be a lot more help uh, within the church that I hope would then spill out outside of the church if we were able to not just air our dirty laundry and gossip but be able to say when we walk through the doors and someone says welcome how are you say you know what I'm kind of crappy right now honestly like I'm hurting I'm I need help and someone not just say oh oh oh, okay uh, um I'll pray for you yeah you know that's what makes people clam up again. So preacher sister, a story, yeah, Yeah, I know. You
0: know what? You need to come back because I think it's the same thing when I was going through my divorce, but even through the struggle of my own marriage, mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell anybody. Right. Because, you know, like I'm in ministry. I'm on national television. If I tell people like my marriage is crumbling, what will they think of me? I mean, can you imagine like here I am going preaching out that we need to be open, honest within the church context, the body of Christ, unity, support. And I'm terrified to tell anybody that I'm struggling. And then, you you know, when my marriage did dissolve and went through the divorce, I will say, though, and I, and I say this as I speak, you know, across Canada, that people responded in such huge ways. Like, Sammy, I had letters, phone calls, emails saying, finally, somebody is talking openly about this. But right. I was like, terrified. And I remember God saying to me, God saying to me, you know what? You need to speak this. I'll give you some time not to share it. But one day, I'm going to have you say it. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about the divorce and my, my failure. Right. And he's Said, well, it's not you know your story; it's mine, and And that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, I think that the hard lines is you know what to share and when to share it. You know, I was pretty open to a point, even as we were going through it, because I, like I said, I'm on TV, I'm on radio, I do a daily dashboard video every weekday, and I'm like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm okay. Now, that being said, I'm not going to share every detail, and I still haven't shared every detail because I realized even in the midst of my pain and my hurt and my anger this is our story. Yeah. And if I believe that God is a God of hope, and I believe that we can be reconciled, and I know that this is my not just my husband, but my children's father, I'm not going to air something, and when I say air something, I mean speak anything, regardless of if it's on camera or not, that I can't take back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so
1: there's a fine line between saying, I'm not okay, and I have to be okay with not being okay, because I have hope, and you know, but I just need you to know I'm not okay right now, while also saying, can you believe this is what we Da, 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 da. And yeah. so we still haven't shared our whole story because it's not just my story. And I think that's the problem is that sometimes people upchuck everything without realizing all the levels of people that it yeah. affects. You know, my yeah, kids good. were seven and eight when this was all happening. They needed to know an age appropriate amount of what was going on. This past Valentine's Day, which was, like I said, about a three-year anniversary for us. We sat down and even on Valentine's Day said to our kids, Look, remember when this was going on? What do you remember? From it, and we took a kind of a temperature read, and we're like, that was true. However, there's a little bit more that we didn't share at the time because of your age, and again, we didn't tell them everything, but we told them a little bit more. And as they, because they're 10 and 11 now, so as they get older into their teenage years, I know my son, my my husband's going to have deeper conversations with our son. I'm going to have deeper conversations with our daughter. But it's an ongoing conversation, both with the parties involved, as well as it needs to be with the church as a as a whole.
0: Absolutely, Sammy. you know from you know somebody in the media in like tv radio podcasting i guess i'm just talking to you how do you kind of protect yourself i mean you're a mm. christian woman how do you protect yourself from all the kind of expectation people recognizing you you in the spotlight and in your own sort of faith walk because i sure. mean i you know it's it's great to talk with somebody who's in the same place because some people understand it some people don't you know they put you at celebrity status sometimes and you're like oh my goodness i'm i'm not that but you kind mm. of have to walk in a different sort of almost arena in a way. How do you how do you do it? Well, you know, it's your own sort of like spiritual walk with Jesus.
1: I don't know if it's a well, it's something that I'm always working, I will say I'm always working on yeah. it. I, I learned, uh, this is also another kind of marriage picture, but I learned from my mentor, Jackie Kendall, that you never arrive. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think for so many years, I felt like, well, if we can just get to this milestone, then we're good to go. And she kind of joked, she's like, no, it never, whether it's your spiritual walk, whether it's your marriage, you never arrive, there's not a finish line. And that both frustrated me and encouraged me <laughs> you yeah. know, that, okay, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, you mean there's not ever like a safe? good place. But that also encouraged me to know that I just have to keep working. That being said, you know, I think living in Nashville is one way that helps me because I'm still really a small fish in a big pond here. You know, when you are in the grocery store with like Keith Urban and Faith Hills, you know, like you're not that big of a deal. Now, granted, yes, I'll, you know, we sit down at a restaurant. We were at a family style restaurant a little while ago and someone sat down and they're like, I know you. My husband's like, oh, here we go. Like, I, I know. Yeah. So for me, you know, you asked in the beginning, though, did I ever see this? I just, I still don't see myself as someone that people know. Even people that I meet, like at church, I'm surprised when they remember my name. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think part of it is just a posture of, I'm just like you. You know, you have to have that posture of whether you're on camera or not, you're just as valuable in God's eyes. So yeah. I really try to remember that. And maybe it's from my insecurities growing up. You know, I'm always surprised when someone remembers who I am. So it's a little bit of that from a how do you carry yourself? Um, um, I'll tell you, having a book about raising your kids definitely helps keep me on track mm-hmm. when I'm in public because I know people are like, wait, didn't you write that parenting book? You weren't just yelling at your kids, were you? You're like, like No, shoot. no, that wasn't me. Yeah. So yeah, that def- that definitely helps. But I will say, I just, it's not a one and done thing. You know, mm-hmm. I st- I took a big step back because my book was coming out in January, for instance, because my husband travels a lot, I had to really, uh, take a step back this you know past six months to know that my first priority is my family. So you know I'm an adjunct professor. I didn't teach on campus this term. I help with other blogger. I help other companies with their blogger relations. I stepped back from all those side jobs, and I knew that was just a season that I had to do so that I could put my family and my faith first. And you know to be candid, I host an online small group again because this was an interesting season we were in. We couldn't be in a physical location. And so I, at our church at Crosspoint here, you know, I said, can we do an online small group? And we've been doing that now for a couple of years, but this season, you know, even just Wednesday night, two nights ago, I said, look, you guys, are you guys reading your Bible every day? Because I'll be honest, we're doing a, how to be a disciple study. And it challenged us and said, you know, sometimes we spend more times on podcasts, on devotions, mm-hmm. really good things, but we're not getting in our Bible every day. And I just stood up and I was like, look, I'm the first to admit, I'm such a voracious learner and reader that I'll spend more time in conversation commentaries and things than the word itself. And so we literally challenged each other. We've been doing it every morning to say, let's just let's read through James this week because that was the last study we did. Let's not just say we did this study, check it off and move on. Let's go back and let's actually read through James again this week so that we're turning the pages of our actual physical Bible each day because we all admitted we had gotten away from it and we weren't doing it every day. So that's kind of a long answer. Yeah, no,
0: but that's good. Listen, you talked a lot about the book and I love this book. This is the book Raising Uncommon Kids. I want to Viewers to see it. Twelve biblical traits you need to raise selfless kids. I've read through it, Sammy. Really great. As I move into getting married, I've, you know, Sophie and Nathan are going to be you know kids that I'm going to be impacting and influencing. It was it, it was such a great resource for me. Thank you. And let's tease our listeners and viewers about it because we can't go through twelve right. for the biblical traits. But why did you write this? Let's start off with that just quick. Why would you write, write raising uncommon kids and that you felt that there was a need to raise selfless. kids? kids. Why is that? Well, obviously
1: it's because I'm doing it perfectly and I felt the need to share. No. Yes, absolutely.
0: You're like it's I'm doing it perfectly and I'm just going to share uh, all my
1: wisdom on that. Right. Hopefully people will find it's quite the opposite. It really yeah. came from a place of my own need. There was a moment when my daughter was 7 and I had one of those like I'm going to shake you senseless if I don't walk out of your bedroom right now mm-hmm. moments and it was really our we have our compassion kids that we sponsor. Their pictures on the fridge and that night at dinner we had been doing this you you know you need to eat your food because they don't you know Gabrielle doesn't have food and you should be thankful you have homework because she doesn't even get to school all those things that before you're a parent you say you're never going to say to your kids yep. I had said to my kids and so I really felt like she was being so selfish and I literally I was putting her to bed I had to walk out of her bedroom and I fell to my knees and I don't always hear God speak but I literally it was one of those God you have got to give me a word or I'm going to kill my kid like I just was about to lose my ever-loving mind mm-hmm. and so he planted this fable in my head that, of course, starred my daughter, which always helps when you're trying to reach a a seven-year-old. And basically, I went back in, and the essence was, I said to my daughter, Harris, do you realize that the pictures of Gabrielle, those clothes she's wearing in the picture, may be her her only clothes. She may not even have pajamas. And I swear to you, my daughter bolted out of bed and said, what do you mean Gabrielle doesn't have pajamas? How can she not have pajamas? Like Because my daughter loves being in pajamas. It's the first thing my kids do when they come home from school. They feel like superheroes. They just... They love their pajamas. And I kind of sat in this silent amazement realizing, not that she didn't care that she wasn't being fed, but like, you know, malnourishment, not getting to go to school, not living with your parents, that didn't touch her. But not having pajamas all of a sudden made her Mm -hmm. want to start this like worldwide help organization. And so (laughs) it made me realize that I need to get to know my kids better. Mm -hmm. And it also dawned on me that everything that I was doing that was selfless or volunteer in nature, you know, tithing, you know, there's not a lot of volunteer your opportunities for kids. My kids weren't seeing that. So I needed to start modeling that behavior starting within our own home because let's face it, our kids are not going to be compassionate if they don't even know what it means to be loving and respectful inside of the four walls of our home. So yeah. that that was the jumping off point for this.
0: Well, what I think is so convicting, Sammy, is that you say the key to raising uncommon kids starts with you. Mm-hmm. Shoot. Yeah, really, right? Really? It starts <laughs> with me? Because I just want to tell them what to do. Uh, Well, all of us do. Right? And then you go, no, no, no. It actually starts with you. And then all of a sudden you you have to take a big pause, Mm -hmm. a big pregnant pause. Right. Breathe in and be like, oh, wow. Because... That means then that everything I'm doing in the home, how I speak, how I act, they're watching, Right. they're modeling, they're mim- mimicking or whatever they're doing. And that kind of freaks you out a little bit.
1: Yeah. It's, I say this is less of a parenting book as it is a book for parents to hold a mirror up yeah. to themselves Yeah. because kids really are a, a reflection of, I feel like, at least for me, my kids are the reflection of the best of me and the worst of me. And, you know, I share a story in the book about how my kids, you know, my kids are only 19 months apart, so they. were both strapped into their car seats when they were, you know, top preschool age and all of a sudden this car pulled out in front of us on the road and I hear my daughter, again, not more than four, go, come on. Huh. Pretty hmm. sure they're not teaching road rage in preschool. So, um, Where the
0: heck would she have gotten that from?
1: Where would she? Must have been her father. Yeah, it must, must have been. Must have been her father. Uh, so it is, though, you know, but then also when I see the kindness or the way that they speak to each other, and I hear words that they wouldn't have gotten unless it was from me, that encourages me. So, you know, some people say, well, I don't have kids or, I, you know, I'm a grandparent. I say, really, these are 12 characteristics taken straight from Colossians 3 that all of us need to embody. And what it is, if you look in Galatians, you know, for years I thought it was the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It's the fruit, singular. Mm-hmm. It's all of those characteristics that come together to make up the fruit. And that's what this is. It's the idea that we want this quick fix in our microwave culture to make our kids kinder and more compassionate when really, unless you kind of take this stair-step approach, and it's not a it's not a method, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a do this and you will definitely end up with great kids. But I wrote it, you know, with these 12 chapters in hopes that parents might even take 12 months to read it that you or maybe 12 yeah, weeks and you focus on one characteristic at a time because if you try to upchuck all this on your kids it's
0: too much yeah gonna,
1: it's just like a diet if you say if you come home and say okay i know we've been having pizza and mcdonald's every night or tim hortons or whatever <laughs> it is right Ah, oh, that I a I girl tim hortons. Yeah, tim me hortons. too but if you say and we're gonna now all of a sudden go gluten-free and sugar-free and caffeine-free and red meat people are gonna be like whoa but if you come home and say you know what we're not gonna change the way we I just want to add some broccoli this week yeah it softens the blow and that's kind of how this book is I'd rather have people focus on adding in good behaviors and allowing that to you know by product push out the negative behaviors and just say stop doing all these things yeah no that's
0: good because you've broken it into three sections you have your heart at home is section one section two, your attitude towards others and section three your influence in the world and you've broken those out and I love it because under your heart at home you focus on love harmony gentleness and bearing with. Mm -hmm. And then in section two, your attitude towards others, forgiveness, wisdom, patience and kindness. And then in section three, your influence to the world, gratitude, peace, humility, compassion. This isn't just for kids. I mean, honestly, this is really for everybody. Like I'm looking at it going, wow, this is for me too. I mean, these are things that I need to focus on in my own life. But let's, let me just, we have a little bit of time. Let's talk about just quickly, like in section one, your heart at home, you focus on love, which is God. You know, you, you talk about, we want more stuff, but you're saying, you know, we need to focus on God with our kids in in this section of the book.
1: Yeah, because honestly, if we don't start with that, the rest of this is pointless. If children, if we, I mean, and like I said, this is really towards us as parents. If we don't understand the love that comes from God, we can never fully give love. Mm -hmm. And so the rest of this becomes meaningless. I mean, how can you expect your kids to care about someone halfway around the world in a country they don't know, you know, people they've never met, if they don't care about the people that they spend every waking hour with. And so you know you have to be able to receive that love from God and believe it Mm -hmm. and somehow be able to share it with your family if you want any of the rest of
0: this to stick. Beautiful. Your attitude towards others, you talk about kindness Mm -hmm. and you focus on sort of like your neighbor neighborhood.
1: Yeah, it's something that's been lost. And and let me say too, Melinda, is that with each character focus Mm -hmm. in each chapter, there's a prayer focus because nothing drives me more nuts than reading a book like this Saying, yes, yes, I need to do this, but they never tell me how. Yeah. So at good. the end of each chapter, I've added a make it practical section mm-hmm. that has five or six ideas, but there's also a prayer focus. So not only do the characteristics build on each other, but the prayer focus builds. So just like in that first section, it talks about how to put this into practice with parents and siblings. As you mentioned in, you know, your attitude towards others, it looks like it looks at how do we put this into practice in our neighborhood so at school, at church. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, let's face it, neighborhoods aren't what they used to be. No. And it's amazing how just a simple knock at your neighbor's door without trying to, you know, the kids trying to sell them wrapping paper they don't need or a summer sausage they're never going to eat just to say, hi, do you need help or or introduce yourself? Yeah. You, you haven't even introduced. You. We just moved in to a new neighborhood. You know, it was right when I was writing this book and we literally set up lawn chairs on our front door, on our front yard, brought out lollipops and chips, I think, like it wasn't a awesome. fancy spread. Yeah. We knocked on neighbor's doors and said, we'd love to meet you, you know, and they might've I thought we were crazy but we don't spend a lot of time walking around at least in our neighborhood you don't see a lot of people walking around so we had to make time to make ourselves available in order to start those relationships amazing I love that polypops and chips perfect yeah. and
0: and finally in the third section your influence in the world uh, you have gratitude for the city and then compassion for the world I mean those are just two of them but right. those are great ones too I love those yeah.
1: well and like I said I end with compassion because I, I pray that's you know the culmination of what we're doing and When you get you know, we talk about this is important for us, but what I realized in my kids is that they don't feel like they have the two things that are most valuable in our society, which are time and money. Mm -hmm. Right? Our kids feel like, well, they don't have their own money except for what they get for birthdays or odd jobs around the house, you know, until teenage even teenagers that are working, you know, they don't have a lot of extra to give. Time, we kind of lord over their time, right? Mm -hmm. When until they're eighteen. So they felt kind of like, Well, this isn't for me because it doesn't apply to me because I have nothing to give. And so through the book, like I said, there's a lot of ways, even practical ways for teenagers. You know, I talk about in that last chapter of compassion, help your kids to use social media for good. If they have a a smartphone, pick a cause that they're really, you know, passionate about and just say, you know, for that day on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the kids are into, you know, these days, you know, dedicate your feed, tell your, tell your friends, look, I'm taking 24 hours to help spread the cause of, of, you know, Compassion International or, you know, of Operation Christmas Child or to help abolish, you know, human sex trafficking. And instead of taking selfies and duck faces and "Mm, and look at my lipstick, right? Yep, exactly. Start, you know, taking pictures and, you know, screenshots of this cause that even if it affects one of your friends or one person or that hashtag gets known by someone that never knew it, that's something, you know, that's something that wasn't before. So we have to stop feeling like, you know, we have to be a YouTube star in order to make a difference. Or, you know, our kids are growing up in this really social media saturated world. And I, as a blogger. Longer. I can't, you know, poo-poo it away by any means. I can't believe I just said poo-poo it away. But I like it. It's good. We also we can harness it for yeah. good. We just have to be willing to think, you know, creatively about how we can help others in ways we haven't before.
0: Beautiful. Sammy Cone, what a pleasure it was to talk with you. you. You need to come up to Toronto. I would love to. You need to hang out because you've got a little bit of connection with Canada, which I love. Yes. But for our listeners and viewers, Sammy you have the Daily Dash blog. You can listen to her on the radio radio you are an incredible woman thank you for your honesty thank you for this book go out and get this book everybody it will really help you with your kids in your marriage wonderful we'll have to have you back sammy very soon okay take care thanks so much thank you Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of faithstrongtoday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.